first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. So, the first time that I remember hearing your name, or reading your name actually, it was it was right around the time that I first played Ev Eternity, which would have been right around the time that I went to QuakeCon, right? So I was kind of like barely blossoming into the possibility of ever being like a real Doom person, right? I had played the games before and all that kind of shit, but then I found out about, oh, you can like play mods of this shit. And uh, one of the first ones that I ended up playing because I interviewed Dragonfly was that. And then I remember at some point saying to Jimmy... As I, because I, I, I think it was really shortly after that that I talked to him. I was like, "Oh man, you're so good. This is my favorite track from that mod." And he responded very politely, "Oh, that's actually not me. <laughs> that's Eris falling." And I had no idea that uh, at that on that day that you and I would end up doing what we do together now. So, well, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I think I remember him telling me that. Was that um was that map thirty? Um the one that's like a was. giant sundial. Oh. If you if you said me, the name yeah. of it. Oh well, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like well, I mean the sundial, that's like chronology, right? Map fifteen. And you get like yeah. the massive fight in the gazebo or something, but that's a Stewboy track. <laughs> <laughs> I can't cut this now. I have to leave it in. Um, just sound like a giant jackass. Honestly, I, I don't know that it was the song from that map. I just remember really liking that map. And I really I remember really liking one particular song. I don't actually remember what map the song was attributed to. And now, uh, okay. if that sounded stupid in the beginning, I'm making an excuse to have sounded so dumb now. <laughs> so how are you doing today? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay, thanks. Um got my drinkies here when i really think about it like that was even before i had joined ducks like i I had never even played z damon until right before or right around that time as well so this was like my infancy as a as a little baby doomer during that time frame meanwhile you guys were putting out shit like for years and i had no idea i felt like such an idiot (laughs) but also like this expanse flew open in front of me it's kind of funny because i think we talked about this on like another occasion but we must have like just missed each other because i don't think i really knew you until like you got in contact for um stella valkyrie and it was 
because I used to like hang around with the ducks um, lots uh, all the time because I used to play Z Demon quite often, um, like in the sort of like middle of the last decade. And I think you sort of showed up around them, like just as I sort of drifted a bit. I don't. I don't think I really showed around anywhere until about 2019. I mean, I I only played. I played Doom 1, 2, and 3 in sequence, and then 2016. Like, basically what happened was, I was on, like, a, we'll, we'll call it a vacation. I've probably told the story before in a different context, but anyway, uh, I ended up kind of stuck in a hotel room for a week in Denver with nothing to do. So I, like, had this laptop, and we had really shitty Wi-Fi, and I was going to download Doom 2016, because it was like, I didn't know anything about the game. I just knew that it was like, really popular and it looked cool and I had money. So fuck it. And then, but I bought it, but then the download, like I didn't even understand that about computers yet. Like I didn't understand that the fact that I had really shitty hotel Wi-Fi was going to mean I could not possibly play this game in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> or Nor did I think about, you know, whether or not it would have worked on that laptop, which it wouldn't have. <laughs> and then, uh, so, but then it, the prompt was like, Oh, what about these? Like, and they were like, you know, on sale, like for two bucks doing one, two master levels, all that shit, you know? And then, so I grabbed all that and I played mm. it over the course of that week. And that would have been yeah, yeah. 2017. And then it took me a couple of years before I figured out people like use the internet to play doom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, that's cool because I think, because for me, um, I guess life just took me in a different direction. Because uh, I was around Z Demon from like 2014 through to around 2017, um, and then I just because I always like played the Thursday Night Survivals, and I just sort of lost the time to uh, do those. And I, I don't know, I just sort of ended up disappearing in a way. Did you like? I guess let's start from the beginning. Like, when did you uh, grow this fascination with music in particular? And then I think from there we can probably find Doom elsewhere. Or did it? Did Doom happen first? Uh, well, I, I mean, I guess it depends because like, I've sort of always had a bit of like a musical side um, for as long as I can remember. But then I also started playing video games really young as well. Uh, Doom and Duke 3D were the first games I ever played. Actually, I was like four or five years old. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, my mum was thrilled about that. By the way, <laughs> um, I'm sure. But like, <laughs> yeah. But um, no, I, I, uh, I grew up with the PlayStation version of Doom. Right. Uh, you're you're the and, rare Doom PS1 guy. I forget <laughs> you and uh, yes, <laughs> like your Amorphers PlayStation counterpart, essentially. <laughs> Pretty much. It's why okay. he gives me like the pass for not having played Doom sixty four yet. <laughs> it's because like I'm I'm the PS one guy. It's okay. But um, right. yeah, no, I didn't even know you could play Doom on the computer <laughs> until like two thousand and nine <laughs> or something. And um, you beat me by like ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess so. Because um, I, I sort of like started watching YouTube then and. I found like these videos of um, the speedrunner Tatsud Kakokako, who did like um, all these playthroughs of um, Plutonia for for one, and then some like uh, P Wilds and 
you know, mods and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, I was just stunned. Like, I mean, for a start, I only thought Clutoni had six levels because that's all they put on the PlayStation version. So, like, I was kind of amazed by all these new levels that I'd never heard of. And then there's like, oh, there's a Plutonia 2. And what's this whole community chess thing? And then, like, I don't know, I didn't actually get Doom on the PC for myself until, like, I was 15 or so in, like, 2012. And I started out, I wanted to make levels. Um, but I kind of developed this interest in MIDI music because I'd, I'd sort of dabbled in writing music myself um, a couple of times, but it never really went anywhere. And then it was in early 2013, uh, Jimmy started up the Plutonium MIDI Pack project uh, because Plutonia never had its own original soundtrack. Um, it just like reused stuff from Doom 1 and Doom 2. So he was like, okay, what if the community just like made a whole new set of midis for Plutonia? And um, I joined that project and I wrote two tracks for it, uh, which <laughs> for some reason are still like some of my most popular today. And yeah, that just kind of got the ball rolling and... Here we are, nearly ten years later. Man, so can you kind of like give a brief overview of all of the different Doom-related stuff that you've worked on up until now? All right, so well, I mean, there hasn't been that much to be fair. I'm quite slow, uh, but after the Plutonium MIDI pack uh, in 2013, um, I was asked to do uh, a track for TNT Two mm-hmm. Devolution. Um, and I wrote this uh, like ambient piece, sort of Doom sixty four inspired, which I loved. I'd never, I never written something like that before. But having grown up with PlayStation one Doom, I really wanted to try my hand at that kind of style. And um, I made the track. It got uh, the whoever it was that contacted me. Like they loved the track, and like okay, it was cool. And then a few months later. Um, TNT 2 just kind of went to shit and then it split into TNT Revolution. Mm-hmm. And that track is uh, now on the level that uh, people know as Transduction. And I think it's maybe the most well known level from that project. So, like, I'm really happy that I could have been like a part of something that had like such an impact so early on in my music career. Uh, but yeah, I did a few other tracks for that project, um, and it came out in 2017. Uh, so there was like, I don't know, those first few years, I didn't really have much that was released uh, in terms of Doom stuff. It was, I think, definitely 2017 is like kind of where I started to have more stuff coming out. So there was also The Given uh, by Dobu Gabamaros. It's like this monsterless puzzle map. Uh, I did a track for that. Then there was Maskim Zul by Obsidian. Um, I did an MP3 track for that, which was quite fun. I think that might have been the first one I ever did. Uh, bespoke. And then there might be one else that I'm forgetting, but the big one then uh, the next year was Everternity. And I didn't have as much of a big contribution to Eternity as I kind of imagined I would when I was called in. Mm-hmm. Because, I don't know, like I was called in first as a 
musician, uh, Dragonfly, reached out to me in like May of 2018. So about uh, what's that? Seven months before uh, he released it. Like I thought, yeah, okay, I guess like I'll do like midis for each episode or something. And then ended up I I spent like months working on a map instead for it, <laughs> uh, which which ended up becoming map twenty nine. Um, and as always, big shout outs to Dragonfly for finishing the map for me because I sort of ran out of time. I started uni in the autumn of that year as well, so I sort of lost time to work on it. And then I still needed to do like a track because that's what I'd been brought on to do in the first place. Um, so I did the orchestral um, Okvobus track on map 30. And, you know, I think maybe that makes up for no middies. So for the people who are just like, maybe not super familiar with what you do, why is it significant that it was like your first MP3 track? Like, why does that matter to the layman? Yeah. So, I mean, like general MIDI music is, um, it's like a lot. Uh, well, I mean, it's a, it's an easier kind of music to write for. I think I really like how I sort of approached making music because I think general MIDI is like it's simple enough that you can just focus on like the actual composition of the track rather than getting bogged down in um, all the other stuff that goes into music production, like you know mixing and all that stuff. Um, so. It's a, yeah, it's a really nice gateway into writing music, but I've always like wanted to branch out into not MIDI, as it were, like actually, uh, like producing like proper music with like live instruments and the like. Uh, so, and it was around 2017 where I kind of got to the point where I felt confident in actually doing that and. Um, when Obsidian reached out to me and was like, okay, I want to have an MP3 track on this map I'm making. I was like, okay, yes, I'm definitely interested because I really wanted to start like making these pieces. Um, so for that to be the first one is like, that's really significant to me. And now it's like, because I've kept doing it often enough, um, I've been able to do it for like more projects, so like Elementalism, which just came out, and now uh, Stella Valkyrie, of course, and hopefully many more in the future. Yeah, do you think you'll want to work on stuff that's not in any way related to like the Doom and Boomer Shooter thing at a certain point? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so here's like kind of the state of things with me at the moment. Um, I didn't, I never really wanted to make like a like big announcement or a song and dance about this, but I'm kind of done with MIDI music because I feel like I'm enjoying not being constrained by the format so much that it's kind of hard for me to go back now. Um, I'm not really enjoying (laughs) the sound of it as much as I used to. And all things considered, maybe it's time to move on. And it's like, I haven't played Doom for a number of years and, you know, I, I, I've i started to feel lately that I've kind of had my time with it and I want to move on to other things but it's like even like moving on like beyond boomer shooters like I'm absolutely willing to do something like that because 
this is something I was thinking about. I have like quite a few, I guess, different sides to myself as a composer. Like different, I guess there are like reflections of different sides of my personality. I guess that's kind of true for any uh, creator or artist. And it's like I was going through like some of my um, old uni assignments. Uh, for those who don't know, I did a degree in music composition, uh, which I graduated from last year. And it's like some of the stuff that I did for that is like, you know, you'd never... <laughs> Thank you. But it's like some of the stuff that I had to do for that for that degree, it's like you'd never get away with like putting this kind of music in a boomer shooter, you know, when it's all like guns blazing, heavy (laughs) music and stuff and it's like i've been thinking like i'd love to do like an rpg or something because you get all sorts of stuff going on in those you know that'd be really interesting as a project rpgs simply in in terms of like the ultimate quest of a game dev like what's the what's the greatest challenge to conquer outside of programming necessarily. I mean, like that's a whole different ball game, but like as a game designer, as a, as a producer, as a writer, as a composer, I feel like that's, uh, that's the ultimate. That's, that's where it gets really big and requires a lot of meticulous detail and multiple teams to function correctly. Um, even call us Ragnar, which is like, you know, compared to something like what you'd call like a proper triple a RPG, like not even fucking close, but, even that is super challenging. Um, mm. We really lucked out with Tony, though. Like, oh, I, I don't think we could have gotten luckier. <laughs> Fuck, dude! Like, <laughs> the main theme still pops into my head from time to time. He is incredible, Tony. If you're listening, we love you. He, he I think it's it's a weird thing because I feel like most people just generally don't have any appreciation for classical music at all. It's just something that happens in movies and games and take it for granted. They don't think about it. Right. Once in a blue moon, you get the, like a composer who's just tremendous at making classical music that sticks with you, like the same way that a pop song does. So star Wars, like John Williams kind of stuff. And one of the ones that always sticks out is like, you know, like Indiana Jones's theme and, um, the theme to Lord of the Rings. Like you don't mistake these for anything else when you hear them, right? Mm. And mm. Tony slapped one down for the Call of Ragnar theme, dude. It's just I, I can't get it yeah. out of my head. I've I've sent him multiple shitty covers of it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think melody is um, a huge part of that because I mean, you mentioned like the Indiana Jones theme. It's like how many other John Williams scores can you? just like immediately recalls so easily and they're all they have such very recognizable melodies and the call of Sagan, I think, is the same with that. I think orchestral music sometimes falls into the trap when it's in like multimedia where it kind of just blends into the background and doesn't really draw attention to itself in a way. Sometimes that's exactly what it's supposed to do, right? Definitely, for sure, but I think there's also, because um, I mean, you don't you don't necessarily want to draw the attention away from whatever's happening, but also it kind of gets a bad rap for the same reasons. If that makes sense. Right. No, I mean it's the seasoning on the sauce that matters. Yeah, yeah. I think it's orchestral music in particular. I've seen 
almost get this kind of pushback. I don't understand why that would be uh, compared to other genres, but, you know. I don't know. I mean, there, that, that's true of all of musical composition. It's not, I mean, I feel the same way about, like, uh, name a random Beethoven symphony that I wouldn't, like, I would know, like, the fifth. All right, there you go. And then, like, Fair Elise or some <laughs> shit like that, you know? Like, the, the, the yeah. ones that have, like, rock and riffs that I can, like, play along to on the guitar like dun 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 that shit slaps mm. but i mean mm. I, I don't know any of his fucking sonatas and if i heard one i wouldn't be able to pick it out of a you know baker's dozen and th- there's nothing you know i'm sure some people feel very strongly about like every single one of them is special in its own way but for me i'm just like ah, just, they all sound like boring classical music but i could say the same thing about uh what you're doing for stellar valkyrie like there i i could have easily went and you know, threw a few hundred bucks or whatever at somebody on the internet who like just makes dispassionate garbage that's passable for, a, you know, an indie game or whatever, or just, you know, pulled free shit off the internet, <laughs> I'm sure. But uh, I wanted someone who understood, like you said, like how to really just nail the melody and make, make it add to the game instead of uh, either trying to hide behind the game or trying to like come out ahead of the game and take over the game. I um, you know, from the off, I felt pretty strongly that Stella Valkyrie soundtrack had to be synthwave. I'm putting that up in inverted commas, um, because I've heard like I've started hearing like synthwave and stuff, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's not a genre I've done before, so I want to have a go at it. But also, like I was looking at um, before I started on working on like Stella Valkyrie I looked up like synthwave tutorials just to like <laughs> get an idea of like how to actually go about some of this stuff because I'm not I'm not good with synthesizers I have to admit and like what I was getting from like looking at these these tutorials is like I don't know there's quite a lot of like very generic sounding stuff in this genre and right. I felt like I don't want to adhere to it to that in particular too closely um just turn on the sawtooth man yeah yeah it's like i kind of just want to get the general aesthetic there and then just do my own thing with it yeah which is how i feel you should approach anything um you know i don't think trying to write a very specific genre is necessarily a good idea because it's more interesting if you just sort of let it flow more organically i guess it's also important to note that like you weren't actually originally brought on to make stellar Valkyrie's theme. You were in fact brought on to make a completely different type of game with a completely different style of music. And then just stellar Valkyrie. Yeah. You're like you pivoted. Like as soon as the whole team was like, we had to well, put that on the back burner and pivot. Cause I you were going to be making jazz, right? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So I've never done jazz before either. <laughs> so that was like, like either way, I was going to be sort of like out of my comfort zone, but that's what I love. I, yeah. I really, I think w- with stuff I did for Doom, it was like I've kind of become sort of synonymous, I guess, with like these dark, evil-sounding pieces or epic symphonic, and it's like I want to do other things. I'm in the last couple of years, I've really been like a, on a sort of melodic kick, and I want to do like more upbeat sounding music. So 
like Stellar Valkyrie is like the perfect project for me at the moment, honestly. It's, I think it's like I'm not trying to toot my own horn here, but really, really, my goal was like I just wanted to get like the people who I saw who were like right on the brink of, you know, taking that step into commercial stuff. I mean, Scumhead is kind of the even though he's the youngest person on the team, he is actually the veteran game salesman here. Um, yes, but even even that, like you know, I feel like we make a good team even if we're you know we have to deal with real real life shit getting in the way and we all have jobs and everything well most of us have jobs um (laughs) yeah even through all that like i still feel like the if i could just get these people to make a game together it would be my favorite game no matter what they make and that's that was like kind of why i did this in the first place because Call of Seregnar, I like adopted. It's like that was Damien's child that became like, oh yeah, I need to embrace that. But you guys are you guys are my baby. <laughs> I think it's kind of good as well because with the previous projects, like the concept was like laid out before everyone was on board. Uh, but you know, with Stella Valkyrie, it's more like. Everyone was, well, I mean, I slept through it, but like everyone was there when like the project was actually founded. Mm-hmm. Right. So you guys all had that meeting. Um, and then I just woke up to see like 80s style, like space art all over the sofa. I was like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> but everyone's yeah. been like, I feel everyone's like on the same page as like what we want the game to be, which is really cool. Yeah. It's it's wild how long it's taken us to get to the point we're at too. When I really think about cuz we I mean we have been super just like chill about everything. Like you got to go deal with some shit, man. Yeah. We all have other shit to do too, so it's kind of like we we work on it when it's like when the lightning gets caught in a bottle and we all happen to be in <laughs> off or around at the same time, but <laughs> which is rare, which is very rare, but like from, I guess from the iteration of like, okay, big secret guys, we're making in the keep games, and our first game's going to be, and then it was what it was, and and through sheer coincidence, like uh, our three D modeler couldn't stick around, and I was just like, we're not going to be able to go afford some professional three D modeler to make what we're trying to make here. So our next project, folks, will have three D models. Yeah. You know, big, yeah. Put it all over Twitter or whatever. <laughs> that's our next advancement no um but yeah like like i said we had like a, we had a team like a functioning working team going and then it just like well we can't we literally can't make this game now um so yeah the pivot was was huge and uh full like full disclosure stellar valkyrie like was born out of a concept that scumhead had come up with like he had drawn out designs and everything like how he wanted to make a certain kind of game and then we just that meeting you slept through was him pitching it and then us all brainstorming and then it just by the next day was stellar valkyrie yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. no it's, it's 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 cool and i really like the whole way we went about like keeping um the whole project a secret as well right up until Realm's Deep. It was fun to like mess around with people with that. A, p- a couple of people guessed. What's um, this? Correctly. Did they? Yeah, I, th- I think Bridgeburner called it ahead of time and Foamy called it ahead of time. Ah, 
but like th- these are two people, especially follow me is like very in tune with like when I'm awake because we're like, we, we chat like almost every day. So I think he saw the time correlation between the, you know, Oh, Ty's got time to take 10 minutes and do a bunch of Twitter shit. And then that would continue to happen. And then finally he, he, he called me out, but he didn't call me out in public, which is the gentleman wow. thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> that was such a stressful time in my life too. Like that lead up to realms deep, knowing that we were about to like, We'd never even announced in the keep being a, you know, that we were doing games now, like at all. As far as anybody still knew, this is just like my dumb podcast and the production business, which is great and all. But yeah, I knew that A, I had to make Realms Deep good or like I, I can't fail at that. I was going to fly out of the country and there was a whole bunch of shit going on in my like actual life. And then I, I'm there. And we're put like all the trailers are getting put together and fucking uh, like red eyes, green dragon and Vince and uncle had just absolutely killed it. And I knew that like, okay, I'm about to announce to the world that uh, call of Seregnar is going to be our game and that stellar Valkyrie is a thing that exists. And it was like the most exciting shit ever, dude. But I was so, I was literally like, just, I, I drank so much. Like I was so stressed out. God, yeah, I bet. No, it's like doing everything as well. <laughs> yeah, that was. There's not a lot of. Sleep. You ready for this year? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't recovered from last year. And I, I mean, this year has to be bigger and badder and awesomer than than last year too. It's going to be a different climate, though. I think things have changed a bit over the last two years. Um, I don't know if it'll ever be like a thing that people can go to for real, because Mm. uh, like I said, the world has changed. Um, But I think we've done like really well with this kind of like digital festival thing. And as we expand, because it originally is like, we were like, let's do a digital convention. And then the convention really took place in the, in the realms deep discord, you know, (laughs) <laughs> like that was the convention of game yeah. developers talking to each other. And so that to publicly, like there was a lot of cool stuff that was going on, but it really, it was just like a stream of like a bunch of skits and trailers and all that, which is cool. But we were like, okay, let's do better next year. So then the vault was Fred's idea. And I think that it was really difficult to explain to people what we meant by it. Um, and so this year was like a dry run for that. Yeah. But now that enough of our, you know, people who are kind of regular guests understand how we used that. Hopefully we can make it better going forward. And because my idea was like the way that Fred made it out to me was that the vault would be like a, like you're a digital booth. Like if somebody walked up to your booth, what would you show them? And that's easy for me to say, but to like somebody who's like, I, I don't have anything prepared. It's kind of a wild ride. But now, if they know what to expect, it it to be, yeah, I think I remember it having to be explained to people quite a lot of times. But it's one of those things, you know. You sort of improve it as time goes on. It will get better, like year on year, as you understand better how to put things together. Yeah, and only a couple more months, man, and then like I'm going to be planning for the next one, and you you guys are going to be like, "Oh, what happened to Ty? <laughs> He's gone." <laughs> No, nah, I'm just kidding. I uh, 
I'll just I come to I... Denmark to hunt you down or something. <laughs> that would be great, man. You crash at my apartment. We'll fucking jam, piss the neighbors off. Cause there's like no, I'm not used to the not having an air conditioner going all the time thing. Like when it's quiet, it's actually like mm. fucking quiet. That that's not how I grew up. <laughs> so <laughs> like even still, I need like a fan or something on to like go to sleep. White noise of some kind. Yeah. Yeah. I always have my computer running. Yeah. It sort of does the job. But yeah, we'll, we'll like go and we'll swashbuckle. I I, I want to come to England. <laughs> I don't know how that's gonna work out for me. Like, but when I have the opportunity, I totally plan to come and uh, knock on AF Domains' door <laughs> on his dungeon <laughs> and take a shit in his toilet. <laughs> I'll leave an upper decker <laughs> for AF Domains. <laughs> but i really do want to do like a uh if it can't be like an actual in the keep makeup meet up like a like a ducks meetup the the z damon crew meetup because mm. i mean it's not like if we all met in the netherlands I mean, it's really possible i'm pretty sure we could pull it off at least the majority of yeah. like the regular group i need to go and just like spend a week in the netherlands or something because i've got like other friends as well outside of z damon that i need to Makes at some point as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. Of, it's it's so wild cool to people me. There. How uh, you guys live so close together and do not like travel to see other people. <laughs> it's it's kind yeah, of bizarre. I, I guess it's I guess it's uh, it's particularly weird for me. I guess being stuck on an island. Yeah. Because you have to like fly to get anywhere. I mean, there's a train, I guess, but you know, it's not as easy as just like, oh, I'm just going to take the car and drive to another state. Right, that and that's how it is here. <laughs> yeah, you guys. <laughs> it's 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 funny, like living in such a small country and seeing Americans being all like, oh yeah, I'm just going to take a short drive, only five hours. <laughs> yeah, it, just going Canadians too, to man. Like state. it. Yeah, yeah. Because it's even more like people sparse too. Like if you're driving across Manitoba, like good fucking luck running into somebody by accident, you know. So yeah, yeah. And in the Northwest as well, like Montana is super sparse like that. But yeah, I mean I, that's kind of thing. I, I mean it was what a few weeks, maybe a month ago, and I was just like, peace out, everybody. I'm going to Tennessee. <laughs> I was just gone for like a, a week or so. <laughs> yeah see that just doesn't happen here yeah but i guess to get back on topic here uh, so i played i today i like blasted my way through the first level of elementalism Mm. and first of all i really did enjoy the hub song i didn't know who did what i don't read read me's unless i'm like really interested usually (laughs) Which um, turned out to be not the case this time because I didn't have the right version of Jesus Doom and I had to, you know, get it. Oh, and, fun. Yeah. In order to know what I needed, I looked at the readme and then I was like, oh, okay, I have the information I need close. <laughs> I really wish that they were like, I mean, you guys did a good job of giving people credit, like at the end of the map, like in who, like who made the map and who the composer it's was. It's at the start of the map as well. Yeah. Um... Like oh, it really? flashes up when you start a level. Yeah, it's 
not it's not for too long, but um, it does like bring up like the sort of like Dark Souls style uh, level name as like a title card, and then underneath it's got like the map author and then the music author, which I think that's a really nice touch. I'm starting to see more of that in the last couple of years with Doom mods, which is it's nice. So, who came up with the name Elementalism? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I know it's a fucking great name. The concept for the I know the concept for the project came from Dragonfly and Fade, and then uh, Bull, who's the project leader, actually came in like a week later, and then he actually ends up running the whole show. Um, so, if I had to guess, Elementalism came from. Dragonfly or Fades, but um, I didn't join the team until maybe a year after they started development or so. Um, that's when they brought in composers. Um, so I don't, I'm not super knowledgeable on the origins of the project. You should get Ball on a podcast, though. That would be great. Be yeah. Cool. Ball, you're invited. <laughs> Done. Um, message me on Discord. The mother load. You'll you can find me somewhere. <laughs> we have we probably share like multiple servers for all I know. Um load L O A D. Oh, we're both on Hellforge. Okay. Well then, you know, what's up? Yeah, yeah that'd be fantastic. Now the the title Elementalism is fucking genius. It, it's like a triple entendre. <laughs> Whenever I like I search it, I get some like Bible stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it is a word, right? Like, I, well, I'd, I'd never heard it before the project. It mixes element Seriously. and mental and mentalism, and I don't know. It has so many implications. It's it's, a, <laughs> it's such a beautifully like subtle but provocative title for a really cool project. I wish I'd thought of it myself. Yeah, <laughs> I got I got to say though, I I remember the first few months I really struggled to actually say it. I used to chirp quite a lot. Elementalism. Bridgeburner still says Stellar Valkyrie. He does. I don't know <laughs> if I should ever correct him. I I never correct Bridgeburner. He's never been wrong in his life. So why would I even? <laughs> I'm just fucking with him. <laughs> never met a more correct individual. <laughs> <laughs> no, you what, tell what? him he's wrong, and he's like, no, no, no. I'm saying it right. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> he'll come up with some like well actually in in ancient Iceland <laughs> this is how they said <laughs> potato potato <laughs> I can't I cannot do a, like a Kiwi accent at all I yeah terrible I'm, I'm no I'm no Chris Guerrero folks can't do any of that stuff we uh well I was I was gonna say something, but we know how I get on with accents. Yeah. <laughs> I think I know everything and I don't. <laughs> I mean I was literally stunned. Well I, I, so do you remember me saying trying to tell Chris like how to do like certain British accents and then I could actually do them myself. <laughs> <laughs> I was like I was like, oh actually I don't know what I'm talking about, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> when he played like he played one and I fully expected you to be like, nah, like, just call a bit like, yeah, that doesn't sound even remotely authentic. But when you said like thumbs up, I was like, no fucking way. Holy I was, shit. I was convinced. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Chris is like a, it's pretty much- he's so serious. 
Yeah, no. There was like there wasn't really anything wrong with the accent he did, I felt. It was I had nothing to pick out. I just mean that there's a lot of people who like want to be actors, but he's like a an obsessed person about it. Like yeah. it's not just his career pursuit. Like this is every fiber of his being. So when he says like he's studying all these like ancient passed down from like fucking, I don't know, Russian theater or whatever kind of shit. Like he really is. He's like mind mm. melded to the idea of it. And so like, I have no doubt that when I like, cause he was, he's very honest. Like, I don't think I'm very good at like these types of British accents, but I think I'm okay at this one or whatever. And then just, I was like, man, I don't, I couldn't pick out one from the other. <laughs> we have like sad. a million as well. <laughs> yeah. It must like seem such a mess from like an outside perspective, and but he seems to he seems to know what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, he he really like in real life, like Chris is a just a crazy person to be around. Yeah, I had the privilege of getting to be <laughs> locked in a building with him for many hours on many occasions, and yeah, he's just a he radiates enthusiasm all the fucking time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's kind. It can be very exhausting, but also it's like, harness this, use this, <laughs> turn this into video yes. game. <laughs> um, so anyway, like, so your, your work on elementalism, uh, just kind of briefly to overview what you told me you did, you did the hub music and then you did, was it fire number five? Uh, fire one. Uh, which oh, is okay. Bridge Burner's map. Uh, when he works on for like three years. Um, and then I did f- the map fives for the Earth and Water episodes. And so right. they, they have um, bo- uh, like boss fight tracks as well with them. Can you kind of briefly explain to people how how the uh, structure of the game works when you're saying like Fire 5, Earth 1, like that kind of thing? Yeah, so... Elementalism, uh, the full mod, uh-huh. um, is going to be six episodes, each with five levels. Each of those six episodes represents a different element. So you have earth, water, fire, air, light, and darkness. Avatar uh, the phase one is what we just released. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we just released um, the first half. Uh, with three episodes, and that's Earth, Water, Fire. So when I say, like, Fire 1, that's, like, Fire Episode Map 1. Um, mm-hmm. Like, internally, the map is called F1. So, like, how... It's like the whole E1M1 kind of thing. That's E1, a, W1, Thank F1. you in Arabic. Or, excuse me. I'm sorry. E1? Uh, F1. F1. <laughs> oh, F1. Yeah. It's or you're welcome. Something See, like I that. I believe it's the, like uh, Shukran is thank you. So Afwan is like you're welcome. But you I would thought, also say like No, I was I, I was thinking I was thinking like racing cars. Oh, and like a Formula One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, I'm I'm so tangential right Maybe. now. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, I like tangents. <laughs> um I'm not very focused. <laughs> myself in conversations 
totally okay. But it's like, um, it's like, see, um, oh yeah, so I did, um, so yeah, six episodes, five maps each, and then you have like the sort of code for levels. So I did the first map of the fire episode, fire one, and then I did water five and earth five, and then uh-huh. the boss fights associated with those. I think for phase two, I like to change it up a bit because I feel like I'm still a bit of like the finale guy. So, I don't want to be typecast, which kind of comes <laughs> back to what I was saying earlier. I don't want to be like stuck doing the same thing. I want to branch out a bit more. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Tristan always last in line at the Bukaki. <laughs> Christ, <laughs> the big finish. The big. Um, we we need to come up with like advertise you as like the fin- Tristan the finisher Clark like. It's your, uh, your professional wrestling name, too. The finisher. He always comes last. <laughs> um, Probably most people have stopped listening by now. No, no, no. This is where it gets good. Like when you just start actually getting comfortable and I'm not like, uh, let me think of a question to get him started. And hopefully, so you're going to have your second beer. I mean, this could be the transition. People should understand I'm massively introverted and can't hold a conversation for shit, so I have to drink, and maybe we're now getting to the point where I don't shut up. <laughs> Good. That's what we Here's want. We'll, we'll, Cheers. We'll wait for it. Uh, what, but anyway, so the, the soundtrack is divided amongst multiple... Like There's a, a composition team, essentially, and it's you and Primeval, and who else? Uh, so me, Primeval, um, Hexen Mapper, uh a.k.a. Tom Jensen, uh, Heaven Wraith, and Speedy. Um, not quite, not really an even split as such. Uh, me and Primeval did six tracks each, and then the others did um, a little less. But I really like how it, it all feels cohesive, despite having like five composers like all running different software, different instruments and stuff. Um, I'm really proud of what we managed to put together and when's this going out i don't know like sometime next in the week? next no not next week next couple I mean, weeks. by the time people hear it it will be today or in the past but for you and i for our purposes um probably like two weeks maybe three yeah okay yeah okay that's good enough so when you're listening to this the soundtrack album is out on Bandcamp and spotify it came out on the 26th, which is in the future for us right now. But when people hear yes. this, it will already be out. So go listen to it. I uh, I can't wait to Please. have it on Spotify so I can like, I'll, I'll be power washing the, the back porch, listening to it or something. <laughs> it's my soft piano music tones or something. Every time I have the occasion to pressure wash something now, I, I volunteer for it and I want to do it so that I can take a picture of it and send it to Arlene because. See, you, yeah, <laughs> I can't even think of power washing without thinking of Arlene now. I know. It's like she's synonymous. <laughs> she's the. So there's Tristan, the finisher, Clark, and. Uh, <laughs> me. I don't want to like completely dox her. Um, major. <laughs> the power washer, Arlene. That's the next Rassel Mafia. Like, we got to do this. <laughs> Put me up against her. 
Sure, yeah. You want a speed map against Arlene? I don't, I don't make levels, so... I mean, you speed compose a track for the map that she's making? Oh, that would work. That could be really fun, actually. Now, that's an idea. Speed track. That's not so much wrestling as... It's a bit too harmonious. Hmm. Music pun for um, for vessel mapia. We'll figure I something mean, out. Well, let's let's put that on the back burner, and we'll talk to Bridge and see see if we can come up with some ideas to turn that into a real, like, fleshed out, uh, testable <laughs> hypothesis for now. Anyway, so this this track that I'm going to play at the end of this thing is the God Parasite, and I remember. Uh, this is back in December. It's probably like the like sixteenth or seventeenth of December because it was when I was leaving Tucson and driving back to Alabama, and I believe it was like the second day of driving through Texas, which is a multi-day thing. Um, so I'm I've woken up from some shitty motel, and I'm heading as fast as I can towards. Uh, Jahar and Rotten Rose's house because they were going to let me crash at their place. And while I was making that trip, I listened to a lot of podcasts and audiobooks and all kinds of shit. But uh, that was when you were on Burning Bridges, and I had probably just like <laughs> rafted up and scheduled it right before I left, if I recall correctly, to release it. But I didn't get a chance to like really listen to it. I like you know skimmed through, did my basic editing stuff. It was a really good recording, other than your microphone issue, but. I doctored it up some and then, <laughs> yeah. And then it was, it was like, so, and how long did you guys talk for? Was it like three hours almost? Uh, two and a half, maybe? two and a half, something like I that. Anyway, that. I, I remember a significant chunk of my day was just listening to you and Bridgeburner. And I had nothing to look at except for the wide open, empty fields of Western Texas. So, but you were talking about um, elementalism and I like, I didn't really know what elementalism was like, you know, I, I hear big doom map thing and they all blend together for me until like, I realize there, there's some sort of personal connection. It's like, Oh, you know, somebody I mm. really know or like worked on that. I should support them. And usually that ends up being the best stuff um, or so I've been told. <laughs> and you you were talking about like this epic epic track that you were making, and so this thing's thirteen minutes eighteen seconds long. The finale, yes. right? E boss. Uh, for the Earth episode. Okay. Okay. Um, so Earth boss. So it's not it's E-boss. not a final boss. It's just like an episode. Yeah. Okay. Um. God. Yeah. So. Yeah, when I was on Bridges podcast talking about that, I hadn't finished it because I still had to. I still had to do the really difficult part, which was actually record the guitar and bass. So this track, I started working on it in January of last year, 2021. And, you know, partly because of like, I had like other obligations. I had to finish my, uh, my degree and also like Stella Valkyrie. So there were other things going on, but like that track took me just over a year. To, to make it's very much uh, my magnum opus um, by far the for most now. amount of time I put into any for now oh god because <laughs> it's, it's like by far the most amount of time I've put into any single piece of music and 
I kind of went a bit too far, I guess. Um, I mean, it's definitely, I think, I feel it's definitely worth it for the end result, but I really wanted to test myself as a bassist and write some, like, really difficult riffs. And then, like, the difficult part was that I had to <laughs> play on guitar as well. I'm not so confident as a guitarist. Um, people probably think that's a bit weird, but I don't play bass with a pick. Um so I'm a bit awkward when it comes to uh, recording guitars where you do have to use a pick. Uh, but yeah, basically, um, very, very long track. A lot of work went into it and it was very difficult. And I I really hope um, people like it. I feel like I kind of made a mistake there. And it's like, it's not a like a musical regret at all. But I have noticed like, Doing that for a boss fight is maybe not the best idea because it just gets drowned out by sound effects. <laughs> so it's like I put all this work in and no one can hear it. <laughs> Sad times. Uh, I mean, it's still like something you're proud of having made and I'm sure that people will, at least the people who hear this will take notice and really make a point to just listen to the track as they're getting pummeled by the boss or whatever. And I've yet to face this boss, but I'll let you know what I think of it when I do. Um, and so anyone who listens to it, thank you so much. Really? I think as well, like that's kind of what I'm excited about with the album release for the OST. It's just like having a bit more like attention brought to the music side of things. That's always nice. I also, I started off as a bass player and I still play the bass. Um, although I just got rid of my bass because, you know, I'm moving out of the country. Like, what am I going to do? Take mm. it on the plane with me. Oh, I'm still going to have a bass battle as well. I'm going to get a new instrument. Don't, I'm not going to like live with no instrument. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm keeping my guitar oh, okay. and my banjo. Like I, those are just like, I'm too attached to those two objects to like ever conceive of getting rid of them. But, uh, I'm not taking it all on the plane with me. So during my, I don't know if I'm going to stay there forever or not. Maybe I'll decide like, Hey mom, ship that shit to me. But you know, I'm going to grab a couple of nice axes, you know, I got to get like furniture for the apartment and shit first. But then after that, start buying toys and yeah, then we can have our, our base bash base off. I'm sure you're like oh, yeah. technically a better bass player than I am, but, but, <laughs> but I don't know. I got the jams, bro. I'm a people pleaser now. I'm going to start thrusting my hips. You don't stand a chance. <laughs> when are you... Um, do you know when you're moving to Denmark as well? I imagine by the time people hear this Wait, episode... Um, so it's what? Like the 20-something threat now? So if I don't hear back about my visa the 1st of April, which will be possibly right around the time this comes out or in the past maybe, but then I'll start getting concerned. I was told, you know, it's like one to two months to get a visa that I put it in at early February. Um, so I'm just waiting. I'm not in a rush oh, or anything. I'd like to go as soon as possible because I want to be like physically at the office when I'm working. But uh, I mean, I yes. can't complain. Yeah. This is not a bad situation to be in, man. I have really, really cool parents. I like cook and do stuff around the house and they like, you know, let me, via uh, Matthew McConaughey from Failure to Launch. 
<laughs> for temporarily, temporarily. No, my, my family's great. Like uh, all of them. It's been really, it's really a blessing to like every day that I get to spend with my grandparents and all that kind of stuff is like, I'm not going to count that against uh, my happiness or in any way. It's, it's been nice. Mm, yeah, for sure. But uh, what were we talking about? How do we get on that tangent? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <gasps> okay. Uh, let, let's take a little break. I'm going to grab some more tea and then we'll, Go into the second hour freshly. You're listening to In The Key Podcast. So anyway, where we kind of left off was talking about bass playing. And so when I first became fascinated with the bass guitar, it was like right around, I was probably like 11. And it was not necessarily that I was in love with the sound of the instrument. It was that I noticed that always the coolest looking member of the band played the bass, right? So like Gene Simmons and Nikki six and and these types of people. And then uh, I think it was when I heard like the early Metallica albums that I like just really fell in love with the way that Cliff played. And that just sent me on the spiral, but because he was, you know, the finger picking bass player, uh, I thought anybody who didn't play the bass with their fingers was uh, a pussy. And, so, <laughs> and all of my friends felt the same way because you're all like that you know, that age where you're a complete asshole. That's what 12-year-old boys are. And also because we were super, super, everyone was super into Metallica. So it was like, you know, Jason Newstead, he ruined Metallica, which isn't true. But um, lots of other things ruined Metallica like alcoholism and uh, drug abuse <laughs> lawsuits. But yeah, when you said that, it really resonated with me because I'm like, yeah, I, I totally, um, I had a strong incentive to learn to play um, with my fingers. And then I think every, every bass player inevitably gets into funk. Like it, you have to, if you want to talk about who are the best bass players of all time, you have to address like the, the seventies and eighties American funk bass players, like the Isley brothers. Fuck like, holy cow. Uh, whoever was playing bass in parliament, I don't know what their name was like that, that kind of stuff. So I wanted to uh, learn how to play the slap bass. And also I think flea from the red hot chili peppers kind of made that popular in the mainstream too. And who was the other? Steve Harris. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Iron Maiden. That was another like huge, like amazingly fast finger picking bass player. The main reason I've always sucked to the fingers is because I could never really hold a pick properly. It just never felt right to me, which is why guitar has always been such a struggle. Because <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't feel natural to me at all to be holding something to play the strings. But no, for me, like getting into bass was, um, it was off the back of uh, Muse. Oh, okay. Um, my mum, my mum's always been a massive Muse fan, and so I was kind of <laughs> raised on it. And um, you know, you see, you see one of their live shows, and you've got like Matt Bellamy's like prancing about everywhere, the front man. But then I was always like drawn to um, the bassist. I was like, okay, but what's this guy doing? And I don't know, I just I just wanted to play bass and I was about the same age as you actually. Um I was eleven when I started playing. 
And then after that, my favorite band, like when I was 12, 13, was actually Dragon Force. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. good stuff. So, yeah, so Chris Wilson, Home of Muse, and uh, Frederick Leclerc from Dragon Force are like my two like biggest like inspirations as a bassist. Um, Frederick Leclerc actually does play with a pick, but I always just couldn't get into it. And so I've had to like learn like how to play bass with uh, free fingers to like to be able to play that kind of speed. Which is not easy, I have to say, but in getting there, you know. It's it's a learned skill. I bet if I were to pick up a bass right now, having gone like a few months without playing one, it would take me time to get back into that like the three finger like it's almost like a I guess they're not going to see me on camera, but it, for me, it's like ring finger, middle finger, pointing finger, like in a row, yeah. like to get those like kind of triplets. And if you time it right, you can, you can really get good yes. with it. Whereas like Steve Harris played uh, like bow and arrow fingers only as far as I remember. Yeah. He's, he's always, he's always two. I do like two. If I'm jamming, like Iron Maiden, like that gallop rhythm. No, I do like to actually just use three fingers just to like, actually get that finger moving the ring finger yeah. pinky useless for me it... <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I've seen a bassist who does use like all four for like 16th notes and I just oh god that scares me no I'm I'm happy to just try and like grind it out with three but <laughs> that's, that's enough of a challenge on its own that's a really interesting like idea is like you're so what were you trying to learn how to play Dragon Force songs on the bass at that point in time, or like what were, what were uh, what kind of music on, were you playing? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think one of the first songs I ever learned to play was actually "Number of the Beast" by Iron Maiden. Oh, okay. I'm not saying dun, 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 I played it well yeah. uh, when I was 11. Yeah, but yeah, so um, it's pretty challenging uh, for a that beginner. And, yeah, no, I there were definitely parts I struggled with for a long time. It's not too bad these days. Um, but no, I think Dragon Force is my main one, but I never really got that rhythm down until like the last two years or so where I've actually started using the third finger. Because, you know, Dragon Force songs, they always have that same drum beat going in them. And the idea is that you match your fingers to that drum beat. And Syncopated. basically what you're doing is use your... Yeah, so basically what you're doing is like you use your index finger for the snare drum. And then your middle and ring fingers are basically mimicking the bass drums. So you've got like this da 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 really fast going. And it's very tricky to uh, keep up with that for like seven minutes straight. But that's uh, just where you have to like keep doing it and build up the strength. And that's that's the real bitch. It's like if you don't keep on top of it, if you like take a week off from playing, you, you lose so much progress and have to build it back. <laughs> you got to practice your... Uh... Your rudiments, your your bass finger um, paradiddle is extremely important if you want to play mm. uh, really fast progressive metal music, I would assume. For sure. And actually, this I can tie this back to elementalism. <laughs> uh, because, well, yeah, because actually the Earth Boss track, um, the Earth Boss has a second phase, and in the second phase, like the music shifts to... <laughs> it's that rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
at like a tempo two hundred and twenty BPM or something. Um, so like I had to train just to be able to like record this track, and then I had to like do it again for the video um, as well afterwards. So it's, it's I think it might be the kind of track I end up just coming back to just for like training purposes because I kind of wrote it as like a exercise in some ways. I mean, for for anyone who's like Sorry, skeptical saying? of this, like to go try to play like a Ramon song all, all the way through on the bass, like it. And those these are like two and a half minute sprints of just straight, you know, basically sixteenth notes and maybe eighth notes, hmm. and that is extremely difficult endurance wise, and to do what you're talking about for as long as you're talking about doing it is something that takes a lot of stamina. As you say, like uh, I talked to Tony about this sometimes, but like it is very possible to compose a piece of music that is not physically possible to play. Right. And mm-hmm. that can be for a multitude of different reasons. <laughs> Absolutely. I kind of, I kind of did that with this off boss track. Like I kind of wrote above where my skill level was, which isn't really uh-huh. what I, what I want to do. Um, people will say like you get better in learning the piece so you can record it but the problem with that is like it's no good when you're on a project and you have deadlines to reach um, like outside of that I, I'm completely behind the idea but you, it's one of those things like there's a time and a place for it and I had to put in quite a few hours of practice for some of the riffs in that track when really it just needed to be done earlier. But, you know, it's, it's all good. Um, elementalism was a fairly chill death process. So what, what I was saying was that I, I felt like I got I off easy because more. I, when I was initially learning how to play the bass, like I was listening to like, you know, classic rock music, like pretty, not that there isn't a lot of really challenging stuff. I mean, you can start talking about Rush and, and all that kind of thing, but you know, like to learn Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin songs, not that they're not impressive from a writing standpoint, but I mean, like you learn the blues scale, you can knock down basically every Sabbath song, uh, assuming you've got the, you know, stamina to keep up and everything. And like, uh, you know, Detroit Rock City, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, so I wasn't trying to play like Dragon Force ever. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> bass is interesting because I feel it's a very low, uh, like sort of entry level compared to other instruments. Other than maybe the size of it, which can be a bit intimidating when you're a kid. But like other than that, I feel like it's quite an easy instrument um, to be able to play the basics, and then it gets more difficult when you get to like go beyond that, you know. <laughs> there's like your root notes and then there's dream theater you know right it, it like really <laughs> yeah the brothers johnson ceiling, low entry level yeah <laughs> the bass player from the brothers johnson his name was thunder thumbs like just an incredible incredible mm. slap bass player him it was him and his brother his brother's name the guitar player and the singer is uh lightning licks so mad respect to those guys, but yeah, like that, that kind of stuff is, it's so wild because as you said, it's a very, it's like Mario. It's like you know, simple to learn, difficult to master. And 
I'd mm. say that the mas- the mastery is not like any one particular thing. It's just like uh, it's sort of like when you've spent your ten thousand hours on something, you start to be a, a you start to philosophize about it. You're no longer like trying to learn new things. You're taking what you understand and like extrapolating upon that. You're being creative really for the first time, and that is a huge. It's like the the difference between a person who's never played quake before versus someone who's like, like Rafa or something like that. The mm. margin of uh, skill is extremely high. Not to say that that's not true of all instruments, but the bass is like a particularly interesting one, at least to me. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Cause I mean, like you can even like go beyond like just playing like bass as like a bass instrument and then taking it into like soloing. Mm-hmm. Of got- which we have one of you. <laughs> well, I was thinking more like um like the YouTuber uh Charles Bertoud who does like he just like makes like, these beautiful like bass tapping pieces and it's just like absolutely mind blowing watching him play. But he'll get like comments like, Oh, he's not a real bass player and it's just like fucking whatever, man. <laughs> Uh, I mean, what is a real bass player? I, you know. I feel it's very reductionist to <laughs> say that the bass only has to play as like a supporting instrument. You know, that's its role in an ensemble. But like, why can it not just be like a solo instrument? There's no reason why that shouldn't also be the case. I mean, nobody would say that Les Claypool is not a real bass player. <laughs> I'd say he's a, <laughs> about as high on the, you know, if there's no, somebody on the, the Mount Rushmore of bass players, he's the first name. And then, you know, there's the, then there's the other three people. <laughs> mm. So, but I mean, yeah, like it, reinventing an instrument or like playing the bass as a lead or yeah. just doing something new is. What is that? It's like people tell them, like, oh, they're playing it like a guitar. Well, it's called a bass guitar, for fuck's sake, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't people get it. Still... Anyway, that's, that's my mini rant on bass elitism, because, I mean, these are the same people that will get upset if you have more than four strings on it. Yeah, it's just dumb. And you think, like, really, it should have had six in the beginning if it's a bass guitar, but there we go. Oh, that's one of the perks of the basses like, that you don't... Uh, by the way. You... Oh, congratulations. Welcome to <laughs> Third Beer with Tristan. Welcome back. <laughs> and <laughs> Tristan, uh, how is that third beer tasting? I'm getting for you? angry about bases. Oh, it's great. I'm just mad about bases on the on a podcast. Is anyone still listening? <laughs> uh well it's actually cider, not beer. Um ah. I'm a bit of a lightweight, I guess, but um, it's Copperberg strawberry and lime cider. Very nice. It's, this is usually what I'm drinking, if anything. It's my Sounds go-to. delightful. There's a lot of good like ciders and, and such around here too. Like, a, inevitably, after the craft beer market exploded in the past, I'd say decade, like the craft cider and then like the seltzer water thing, and also mead became uh, pretty accessible in the states so i mean there's like a, a lot of 
you almost can't walk into a grocery store without having a, like a selection of ciders at least in it. not angry orchard that shit's terrible don't never never ever <laughs> go that low stereo at but i'm just having some chamomile it's my night night tea keeping things normal for thursday night <laughs> yeah <laughs> so beyond just the bass though like you, you'll as you say, like guitar was a, or is a difficult transition to make. Like, and it really just, mm. it just has to do with the pick hand. Is that really what it is for you? I feel like that has mainly been it. It's like when I try and like break down what's going wrong with my guitar mm-hmm. playing, I feel that is the main thing. Cause I mean, technically, like the left hand should be more or less the same thing, right? Yeah. Apart from, you know, chords come in more often, but beyond that, there's not too much that's different now. Uh, so yeah, the I mean, I've gotten, I've gotten better at guitar. Yeah, yeah, that as well. I've not struggled with that too much, so to be fair. And I feel like with a, with a guitar, you can play with natural harmonies a lot more than you can with the bass. I mean, you can do it with the bass, but it typically just kind of like sounds like a lot of noise if you're trying to. I don't know. Play play an octave on a bass uh, at in in the lower register. Anyway, it's like not necessary. Yeah, there's really like for like the main part of the bass range, the only like intervals that work together, like the octave and the fifth, mm-hmm. or the fourth, if you want to play like a power chord, like the other way around. But beyond that, you have to go like quite high up to actually get like a nice sounding. Uh, chord going. Yeah, it's like yeah. I've I think yeah with guitar definitely it's like picking like definitely when like trying to change strings. Uh, with a guitar pick is the hardest thing for me because I actually had this with the with that Earth Boss track. It's like there's a very sort of like crazy Dream Theater inspired riff. Um, and like that has like string skipping or whatever, and I just couldn't do it. Um, I, that was really hard to record. I found that when I when I first really started to say like, okay, I want to be also be a guitar player, which I mean was a long time ago now, but I I was used to playing the bass, so I like I just had this really heavy hand, you know, like my my right hand was way too much to be playing on the guitar the way I was. I would break strings all the time. And then I remember, I think I was listening to this interview with like Iggy Pop talking about the Stooges and how they would get like big motherfucking string, like big beefy, fat fucking strings, and put them on that guitar so that they get that sound out of it. And this is also the time that I really started experimenting with like drop tunings and you know, like uh, Suicide Silence and that like deathcore stuff was really popular. So I wanted to play in like A and stupid shit like that. Um, yeah. Which was a fun experiment. But anyway, like I had enough reason, like, okay, I'm going to put these fucking giant strings on my guitar. And that solved it, I guess, for the time being. But uh, I think over time, I, I'm still a pretty sloppy right-handed, you know, guitar player. Like I, overall, I don't think I have a tr- like tremendous uh, staccato picking technique. I'm, I'm no Lamb of God style guitar player. That's why I like black metal because you could just be really sloppy and make harmonies and like it doesn't matter. 
Um, it all sound like a toaster anyway, so it doesn't <laughs> matter if it's black metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't know. Overall, it was a. It, I guess it's just so far in the past for me now that they they sort of blend together. I, I play the guitar a lot more often in general, like. But it, do you find that it's like? Do you find that you can like write songs on the bass easily? Like, do you want to sit down with your bass and like write the the melody to your song, or like how do you structure? How do you write? Um, good question. I've never really known the answer. I think I've probably written more on keyboard, okay, than any other instruments. Um. That's kind of how, like the World Wellness theme for Set of Valkyrie, I think that was a keyboard jam originally. Do you find that you, um, playing the keyboard forces you to experiment with different keys in a different way than you do on the guitar? Because I don't really play the keyboard. I don't play the piano at, really at all. I mean, I could play mm. like basic stupid shit, but nothing that's of any, like it wouldn't, if someone who could really play were to see me play, they'd immediately know that I don't play. Uh, but I can trick a, a party of people who are not piano players into thinking like, oh, wow, this guy's got some raw talent or, or some shit. Um, <laughs> but because it, you know, if you change keys on the piano, you're, the the nature of the way that you play the yeah, scale changes. Yeah. Whereas on a guitar, you just move up or down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... I mean, I can play piano in any key, but I find I often, like, if I'm just, like, jamming, like, I tend to, like, default to the same ones. Uh, like, ones that don't have many um, accidentals going, uh, or black keys, uh, in layman's terms. Uh, I don't really know why that is. I guess it's just, like, maybe it's less to think about, but... You know, like um, the Stella Valkyrie's level one theme, it's like it's in A minor, so there's like that's all the white keys basically. Um, so it's easy to just like jam out. And I think the reason like piano is quite good for writing for me is that you've got like the bass notes and the melody at the same time, and it's quite easy to just do both. Mm -hmm. Where you can't really have it's it's harder to have both of those on a guitar. Um, so it's just easy to like get a feel for the track on piano. Yeah, and I think the boss track that I'm working on um, for the first boss is like, I think that's the same. I should be able to remember. It wasn't that long ago. I came up with it, but I think that was the same thing. And like, I came up with it on a keyboard and then started transferring it um, properly. Yeah. It's like um, and then just like added guitar solos in between. It's really it's really interesting to think about because I mean, like having only ever written music at all by like jamming. It's like I, I don't know how. Do you jam with other people? Like, do you ever sit down with other musicians and like play together? Just like whatever comes to mind. Uh, not anymore, sadly. Um, yeah, I was in my uni's jazz band. Okay. Um for a few months and then the pandemic hit. So that kind of killed that. So is that a, uh, like, was that the kind of thing where they would hand out sheet music and like, you're just, we're all going to learn these songs sort of deal. Yeah, that was, um, that was quite a 
that was quite a wild experience for me because I mean I can read sheet music, but I'm not so fast at reading bass clef, uh, which is what like sheet music for bass is written in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was like I was trying to like have to, I was like trying to sight read these songs and just like making a terrible job of it. Fortunately, I wasn't the only bass player. Um, and the other guy was a bit better at like playing jazz than I was, so I'd like hand it over to him if it was like walking bass parts and I just like stuck to the like more funky ones um it was, yeah it was good fun actually it was I remember you you were saying earlier like about how like it's actually quite hard to like just pick up a bass and like play like like a most track or something right something I remember is like the other bassist practicing his 16th notes and he wasn't even going that fast, it was like 90 beats per minute or something, just like, dugga, 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 dugga. And like, he was really struggling after a few seconds, and it was really interesting for me to see that, because I've always, like, I guess I've just always played quite fast music, and never really had to experience that. So it's definitely, like, that's one of those things, like, it's not a given that you can just sort of do it. It's a bit tricky. Yeah, but it's like but a no, different style uh, and yeah. it lends itself to different things, right? Because sometimes yeah. like the space between notes is more important than the note itself and blah, blah, blah. Mm. No, because like it was, because like I've always like mostly played metal. Uh-huh. Um, it was really cool to like do something different, like jazz music. And that was, was kind of what I took away from uni in general was just like a sort of like wider appreciation for other styles of music. Um, I just feel like I've become like a much better musician overall for doing that. Right. Cause I, I, I mean, I was in the middle school band and I played the trumpet very poorly and didn't take music theory <laughs> seriously at all. Um, and then I, by the time I got to high school, like I would have definitely played bass in the jazz band had they not canceled jazz band before I got to that grade. And, you know, so things happen hey. in life, but, so pri- primarily my um, learning to play the guitar and play the bass was done by just getting in a room with my friends who, and we did, didn't even really know how to tune our instruments, you know, but we were just playing together and trying to make stuff that sounded good. And like through the process of elimination and like slow iterative, like learning of how this shit works, uh, started to piece together the puzzle. Like I, I didn't even really like, I understood what a scale was. I could play like a major scale on a guitar and all that kind of thing, but I never really thought about it. It was never something that came to mind. It wasn't something I practiced. I just kind of like would learn riffs here and there and then like write my own stuff based on like bits and pieces that I learned. And I'm not a professional music composer. So we see how far that got me, but I, (laughs) I don't, I feel like there's value in both. Like I, I feel like um, because then later in life I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down and like really pay attention to this stuff and like try to understand it because I already had like a little bit of a like fundamental idea of how it worked. It made it a lot easier um, when I needed to implement that stuff and no question about it. Like if you want to be a guitar soloist, like you can always tell who wants to be the rhythm guitar player. Cause they're the guy who's like, uh, I just watch you play. I don't know what key you're you know, playing in like that kind of thing, but <laughs> 
it's just, it's a totally different way of learning. But like Eddie Van Halen was like a self-taught guy who then like later developed an appreciation for classical music and then iterated upon it. Yeah. Not that I'm, I'll never be Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, I'm self-taught originally. Yeah. I'd say that's like 90% of everything I know about music is kind of just stuff I've picked up along the way. Do you think that you're going to university and like broadening your horizons better prepared you for a potential career as a composer for like the video game industry or whatever it is that you end up doing? I mean, it, you could do anything. So that doesn't have to be games. But It's a weird one because I don't really feel like I learned that much per se from doing my degree, but I do feel like, yeah, it sort of broadened horizons in a way. I don't think, like, I kind of feel like I wouldn't be doing Stella Valkyrie if I hadn't done my degree, because I wouldn't have, like, the same... I don't know, I never really cared for, like, electronic music a few years ago, and I feel that's changed because of, like, the time I had there, and just, like getting to know like other musicians who like specialize in other styles. You know, like one of my um one of my old housemates was like um quite big on like EDM mm-hmm. like dubstep that kind of thing. And so like you know talking to them was always like it was more it just helped me to gain a more sort of appreciation for that kind of music. Whereas like before I would just like completely write it off and like never go anywhere near it. And I really like that. Um, I don't want to be, I don't want to be like one of those close minded sticking to one genre kind of people. Yeah. One of the things that Alex said when he was on the show was, you know, he has this deep appreciation for like, k-pop and stuff like that or and and i guess j-pop and and just pop music in general and like he's you know Mm. known for a very different thing like for making this like dark ambient like very amorphous analogous kind of stuff and but it was pretty interesting because like as a musician he's like you know he's looking for that golden ratio like the hit the hit making beat or whatever and then like it it's it's really easy to sit here and say like yeah you just you know four fourths time and like you know slap a fucking you know rapper and a hot chick for the chorus with a pretty voice and uh, you're done. But then I listened he on his recommendation I went and listened to Halsey's album that she did with Nine Inch Nails, uh, basically Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross doing the production for her. And it's like amazing, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm just listening to a, a Nine Inch Nails album with Halsey singing over it, but you can tell that they're, they're broadening their horizons and like tr- trying to make pop music and it's really masterful. Yeah. And there's one song on that album called Lilith that just, I was like, damn, I think they found that, that fucking secret sauce. And I was like, what song does this remind me of? And then I looked it up, you know, I figured out what song it was. And I was thinking of, um, Family Affair by Mary J. Blige. And I was like, who is the producer on that? And then I realized it's Dr. Dre. And I'm like, oh, so like, there really <laughs> is a secret sauce. So like, Dr. Dre has the secret sauce. 
that's what it is. I I was looking up. So have you ever heard the song "Atomic Dog" by George Clinton? Uh, no. Okay, but I, I I know you haven't, but I assure you, you have. It's it's this fantastic funk song. I think it was made in like '82 by George Clinton, who was like the P funk, like he launched off so many great funk players and uh, Parliament, like funkadelic, all that stuff. Anyway. And the song is uh, has has a lot of different parts that have been sampled. And I looked it up; over three hundred and like I think it was like three hundred and nineteen songs have sampled different parts of this single song. And and I started investigating, and it's like half of them are things that are definitely produced by Dr. Dre. So like Dr. Dre found his secret sauce by just sampling shit from this one song. Oh my god. <laughs> so like the bow wow wow you be yo you be a bow wow you be yo you be a that came from atomic dog um okay. and then the chorus is like atomic dog and and that's like that's the snoop dog also dr dre like just ripped it straight out of it and yeah it's it's pretty wild i felt like i i felt like i was seeing through the looking glass i was like oh i get it <laughs> It all came together. <laughs> yeah. One day you too could be like Dr. Dre. <laughs> if you practice. Your scales and arpeggios. Just take stuff from other people's tracks. <laughs> Just keep reusing it. Well, another thing that's interesting is that you say that, you know, you really kind of come from metal and everything. And so in my mind, like the natural thing for you to do is go join a band and play metal music. Right. But, you're uh, you've taken on the life of a composer, which is kind of a different, not just lifestyle, but kind of way of doing things. And like, are there any producers slash composers, um, not from the metal scene that you have an appreciation for? Oh, for sure. So, I mean, like, um, I mean, if we're talking like composers, then obviously I have to first mention Aubrey Hodges, uh, mm-hmm. PlayStation Doom and Doom 64. Um, I was going to say uh, Michael Giacchino uh, for the Medal of Honor series, uh, which is like kind of classical. God, there's some good music in that series. Um, <laughs> who else? Ah, shit. Um, I'm drawing blanks. Maybe I shouldn't have drunk so much, but... Oh, no, you're good. You know, just like... It's just like <laughs> I don't know. Like I always, I always liked video games. Um, I never felt like I wanted to play in a band as such. Maybe I'm too socially awkward for that kind of thing. Or at least I used to be. Probably still am. But you know, I was always very happy to just let video game music be my thing. Generally, any composer I appreciate is just like any whose work I enjoy in games to play like Morrowind has good music I've not heard anything else by Jeremy Soule but um, he did really good on that uh, Final Fantasy 7 I started playing that last year I didn't finish it sadly but I loved the music I don't know I'm a simple guy <laughs> I like things that are good <laughs> in, in sort of our world like our, our little slice of the gaming pie that we occupy I mean 
there are a few people who are kind of at the tip of the spear as far as like being the go-to like you want a good soundtrack, you hire Andrew Holschel or Marky Music mm. or uh and I think Primeval is like right on that precipice, dude. I, I really I, I've I've been saying this for a long time, but Yes. Like he, it's getting to the point where it's like he's got so many projects that he's agreed to do. He's going to have to start like numbering them down and charging a lot more. And like, that's, that's what I want for him. <laughs> Primeval actually like got his projects confused. Cause he's on so many, like yeah. we were talking in the elementalism discord, like, um, ah, oh shit. I can't remember what like the context was, but like he thought the discussion was about age of hell. Right. <laughs> I mean, like he—he he didn't know what projects he was talking about. <laughs> he was like, "Okay, like I can fix this after, like, because there's going to be a demo release, right?" And Paul's <laughs> like, "No, this is the final version. There's no demo." <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, Primeval is definitely like. I know, like Bridge always says, like he's the next Andrew Hogshaw. I think that's probably true. I, he's got I a think vibe he's on well. his way. I think he's on the his way to box, establishing yeah. his brand to the point where he can like really just start like people are going to just come to him instead of him yeah. putting himself out there so much. Like he's going to have to, or else he's yeah. going to forget and, and when it matters, like what he's working on. But I said he's he's quite versatile though. Like I'm yeah. thinking about like his elementalism music, and there's quite like a range of styles there because. He did the fire boss theme, so that's like the one boss theme that I didn't do. Uh, was the one for the fire episode, and like that is like a proper like fucking heavy as shit metal track for that. But then like he did a track for the water episode, which is like really sort of like calm and melodic and like pretty synthesizers and stuff. So he's got he's got quite a good range. Which I feel is a good thing to have as a composer. It means you can do lots of different things. There's a there's a threshold, I think, where all the elementalism you, composers are amazing. I will say that. Yeah. When when I'm thinking like from from where I stand, when I want to, you know, pick someone, and I, I think I kind of started part of this conversation off by saying this, but like you, you can be really versatile and become like a, this like kind of hired gun sort of person who can do anything. And that's good to have. But I, if I want a chip tune soundtrack, I want the best chip tune soundtrack. If I want a heavy metal soundtrack, I want the best heavy metal mm-hmm. soundtrack. And you're, you're like an interesting case because like, I, I just trusted you to make anything. Like I was just like, I'm sure Tristan will figure this out. Like he's, <laughs> we'll throw any genre at him and he'll, yeah, he'll make it's... it stick. It is interesting because I heard the same thing when I was at uni. It's like you kind of have to let yourself be pigeonholed in a way. Yeah. Because people will need to know that you're good at this one specific thing and then they'll come to you for that. <laughs> and then I'm just sat here like, but I don't want to. I want to be known for one thing. It's a, It's going to be a balancing act. I'm not sure what the right balance for me is yet. I don't necessarily think you have to pigeonhole yourself. I mean, it's just a, it's a different array. Like I, the one major thing is like I just don't want to hear 
music that sounds like completely dispassionate. Like the person's just delivering the product, the, you know, moving the Jira ticket from the left mm. to the right. And that's the extent of it. Uh, I want to hear like art <laughs> come out of it. Yes. I want to feel like, I want to feel like I'm working with people who are as driven as I am to like make the best shit. And that's a pretty high standard to hold anyone to. Um, Cause I hold myself to like really unrealistic and unhealthy standards sometimes, <laughs> but. Well, that's the standard I hold myself to. If I felt like, Oh, sometimes I feel like my music's getting kind of uninspired and like kind of soulless. And it's at that point, I just kind of want to give up on all of it. But then I get the motivation back and make something actually that's good. Then I can keep going. Have you ever seen the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall? No. Ah. Spoilers incoming. Um, so the main character of the movie is a, a composer, right? And his girlfriend, Sarah Marshall, is a is an actress, and they both work on this like shitty, you know, like cop crime drama TV show, right? And you know, so her character is the the hot, you know, blonde, uh, door kicking badass cop, and then his character is like the the sort of submissive, you know, un- underachiever boyfriend kind of character and so the nature i mean it's it's you know exactly what kind of show i'm talking about so the soundtrack is just ominous chords right like uh, like and that's it and so there's this scene where she breaks up with him and then he kind of has a meltdown so he goes to work he's in the studio and he starts like playing it's like i think i'm gonna try something different today and he just really starts playing the piano and the guy's like oh no no let's dial that back let's the producer just like let's just uh let's just try some ominous chords. <laughs> you can just see how fucking frustrated he's like, fuck this. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. Like this. <laughs> oh god. And to to spoil the movie, what he really wants to do is make a, a puppet musical about Dracula. But I mean, that's not important. Okay. What's important is that like the idea of working on something that you just don't give a fuck about to me is like, I'd rather actually be in hell. Like, I think, I think that they're burning on a lake of fire sounds better than just doing something that I don't feel good about. That's how much anxiety I have about it. (laughs) Um, when I put my name on something, I want it to be excellent because I want people to associate like a good job with someone that you can trust to do a good job. Yeah. That's kind of why like I'm turning away from Doom slash MIDI projects. It's like I just <laughs> I honestly just don't care enough anymore. <laughs> it's like the quality of the music just wouldn't be that good at this point. Yeah. And you know, that's not fair on anyone then. I'd like to see you work on like an like an RTS game or something, like where you get to like a like command and conquer style sort of thing maybe we'll um, do that one day after we've made millions off of our first few games or something like that <laughs> turn around and go for the, big, the, big too, the rts interstellar valkyrie see falco gets warp drive <laughs> he flies out of the solar system 
However, right, he's chasing <laughs> after a, another ex-girlfriend. <laughs> How many has he got, do you think? I don't know. I mean, kind of honestly, like thinking about the kind of guy he is, like I don't imagine he's like the kind of dude that pulls a lot of ladies. I feel like he's the kind of dude who, like, his particular sense of humor charms, you know, one out of ten kind of thing. So it's it's not always maybe it's not always on for him. Maybe Cat was his only one, and that's why he's trying to get her back so badly. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to because this oh, is Falco. Because <laughs> it really is a it really is a truly kid friendly game and is it, and like you've seen me like hone like bring it back like guys we need to make this like at least you know like e10 plus level kind of thing but I'm really looking forward to yeah. uh, seeing how the the psycho psychotic crazy fan fiction people on the internet start extrapolating on like little things that happen because um, first of all I mean first of all. Our game has anthropomorphic animals in it, which means we're definitely going to get the furry crowd. They're like, they're going to show fucking, up. Did we already have one? Like, someone drew like Falco with like thick thighs, and it was actually that really was like cool. really early. It was like all we had was like this the first trailer. Like, like nobody had really seen much. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that one I was really my, cool. I think my girlfriend drew him a few times as well. Yeah, I mean, he's a got to give it a scumhead, dude. People, people. People doubt me, but I'm t- I'm telling them like like this, this kid has something really special, and like I'm seeing seeing it yeah. come alive every day. And it, that's another really interesting thing about art styles is because I was as I'm playing through something like Elementalism or like anything Bridgeburner or Arlene, like that group of people puts out. I mean, these are really visually striking kind of things, and then. I feel like Stellar Valkyrie is just so completely far removed from it. And that's exactly where I want it because I do not want to be compared to like that level of not to say that Uberguay isn't an amazing mapper in his own way, but it's like a totally different kind of game really. Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's you can think of visual styles as like different genres of music in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, not not so much like you can like draw actual parallels or anything, but it's just different. Not necessarily, it's, it's not better or worse. Um, like there's a racing game called Slipstream, uh, which I mm-hmm. like. I'm a massive fan of. I was introduced to it like a year ago, and like that's kind of like where my whole like kind of synthwave, vaporwave kind of aesthetic liking. It came from that game because it has the Symphony soundtrack, and I was like, okay, I, I, I really like this music. I want to do music like this. So that's like that's what I'm trying to put into Stellar Valkyrie. And it's like, you know, that's a game that came out like only a few years ago, but people see it and like, you know, it does kind of look like it might have come out in the 80s or something. It has that kind of outrun arcade style feel to it. It's retro in the truest sense of the word. Let's make a racing game next. That'd be fun. Oh yes, please. I love driving. We, like, we were talking. We were talking. Yeah, we were talking about like after Celebrity in like the last meeting. It's like there's so many like cool things we could do next. Yeah, assuming it's you know a success enough to keep going, then yeah, like we can do anything we want. 
and we're lucky because we have a lot of options that aren't like I've structured on purpose in the keep in a way that like, if any one of our games fail, like the business will not go under, like we will be fine. Like this is all Mm. very, I'd say like at the scale we're at right now, we're, we're playing with the right amount of like investment versus like risk. And I'm happy with it, but that, that is something to think about because by the time we actually fucking finish this game, I mean, good God, uh, we, we may all be very different people (laughs) for all I know. (laughs) <laughs> wishlist of Valkyrie. Yes, wishlist it now. More games. Please do hit that uh, like and subscribe <laughs> button, and be sure to leave five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you're just like you're like this untapped, uh, just gold mine. Like when I when I look at someone like like you or like Uber or like Scumhead, I just I feel like you're the kind of person who could just be pointed in the right direction or like find yourself walking in the right direction one day and then just like hit it fully. I just don't, uh, I hope that this is that moment, but I'll never claim to be able to conjure up a moment like that. So Stellar Valkyrie is your first ever commercial. It um, is. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a bit of a pipe dream maybe to, hope to knock it out of the park on like the first go, but you know, hopefully like it can lead to something like even bigger. That'd be pretty exciting. Yeah. Where do you think, uh, where do you think you see yourself in like 10 years? Like in an ideal (sighs) scenario? (laughs) Not this question. (laughs) Oh, all I want to do is just like write music. That's basically the only thing I have interest in. If I could just spend all my days doing that, like that's, I'd be more than happy with that. Because I had Nash on last recording session, and I was kind of asking him very similar questions because he's another guy who's like he's been in the GZ Doom thing for like twenty years or something like that, and is just now like starting to experiment with like putting out his own stuff and everything. And uh, I don't know, it's really, it's exciting to me. Like, I love watching uh, my people that I care about succeed. Like, that, that just, it's almost better than me succeeding. <laughs> <laughs> I get so much joy out of, like, the idea that any in any way whatsoever, I may have played a small part in, like, someone finding the realization of their dreams or whatever. Like, it, it means a lot to me. Wow. Are you ready for some... Uh, some questions from our Patreon supporters to kind of close out the second hour. Yeah, go on. All right. From, from Ben, uh, what methods or tricks help you when you are creatively stuck? Oh shit. (laughs) Uh, well plot twist. I'm always creatively stuck. (laughs) Uh, I have to deal with like creative block and burnout pretty much constantly. I don't really know why. It's hard to keep momentum going. Uh what do I do about it? I don't I honestly don't know. I'm trying to like think of like an actually good answer. <laughs> because it's one that's like been asked, but I, I can't think of anything just, other than just like not do it. 
until I do have an idea, which is why I guess I'm I take quite a long time to actually do anything. That's like the most unprofessional answer. It's something that Chris and I talk about a lot, actually, is like, where does creativity come from? Because as you said, like sometimes you just don't do anything until like a spark magically conjures itself into your consciousness and then you like run away and go do that for a while and then you come back and I I totally get that. Yeah. Like I I will just kind of occupy myself doing something else until like I get the eureka moment and then I will stop whatever I'm doing and get up, you know, as, as long as it's not like a, a fire or something like that, you know, yeah. or you know, driving. Yeah. Well, it's like, if I was to give an example, it's like, it's like, cause I've got that boss track for Stella mm-hmm. Valkyrie and it's like, when did I post the first draft for that? It was like two months ago or something, right? Something like that. Yeah. It's like, I still haven't finished it. I don't know what I want to do with the track. I really like what I've made, but I don't know where to take it. And it's just, I'll figure it out at some point. I feel like when I tell you it's due, like, I'll be like, hey, dude, we got two weeks until demo time. You're just going to, like, smash it. And you're going to knock it out of the park. Yeah. I think, like, taking time away from it and then coming, like, actually putting it back in focus, because I haven't done that yet, admittedly. Because of, like, Elementalism's release, I've been more focused on that. So it's like, maybe... Now that I've had like a couple of months away from it, maybe if I sit down now and actually look at the track, maybe I'll have like new ideas for it. But yeah, other than that, I don't know. It's just like creatively stuck. Take a break if you can. I hope that helps. <laughs> Are you the kind of person who like will look back on your catalog and? like criticize every little bit of it or do you alternatively I yes guess? yes okay all right well th- let's i hate that everything guy. i've ever made really <laughs> not that's a bit of an exaggeration but i can always find things to like criticize about any like pretty much anything i've done before you know whether it's like something sort of compositional mixing there's always something that's actually really not something that I've thought about, you know. I'm uh I'm usually very comfortable with like whatever I decide is the completed product. I'm like, okay, well that's it. And then I just I may not even like necessarily like it, but I don't go back and like hyper criticize every little thing. Because I kind of just operate on the assumption that like, well, I did the best with what I have. Or what I had at yeah. the time. Well yeah. it's like yeah, I mean, I, I can I can still recognize that, but it's also just like looking back on something with hindsight. It's like this could have been better. It's like the you know the, the the sports coach who's like, we didn't lose, we just ran out of time. Like you always have to take yeah. in like that, take time into account. It's uh. Because the best song in the world is fucking worthless if you never put it out. Yes. Yeah, that is true. Question number two. Major Arlene wants to know, Tristan, when does March of the Obs come out? (laughs) Is this the part of the podcast where I have to to explain to people what the job is? Yeah. Oh, no. 
So, Yob, full name Yobby, <laughs> uh, is Yoshi's dad. I don't fuck. Uh. <laughs> it's from like what, Yoshi's Island Two Deep Lore or something. You know what? I don't even know. Like, you go on the Know Your Meme page, and apparently it comes from like some post on Tumblr from like six years ago, where someone was like, "I had a dream where I met Yoshi's dad, and his name was Yobby, and he looks like this." And like, they fucking drew Yoshi's dad as they had dreamt him, and that's Yobby. <laughs> and now, for some reason, like I don't know, like. I'm nothing to do with this. I'm an innocent bystander. But there's like <laughs> fucking hundreds of variations of like Yobby emotes on Discord. And I have most of them. And I just like the character. And so he's my avatar on Discord. And like people who like aren't as like in on the meme as much, I guess, just like associate me with <laughs> with this fucking blue Yoshi's dad. There's definitely I mean, no one else listening to the podcast now. I've weirded everyone out. So it's such a it's such <laughs> a big part of like you know, because it's easy to forget that you don't have a like interpersonal relationship that involves like sight and sound with every single person you interact with on a regular basis when it comes to like Discord, right? And so yeah. the the you that is presented to the vast majority of the people who interact or like cross paths <laughs> with you on Discord. Is you're just the 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 weird Yoshi thing guy, like because it's oh, I mean you you got like a Nitro subscription specifically so that you could just blow the fuck up out of the the Yob <laughs> me pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, people who don't know me are going to be listening to this and like this guy's fucking weird. Who is this prick? <laughs> I mean, if you look back across the catalog, I feel like if they've stuck around this far, uh, you're you're pretty mild case of weird. Oh, we've had Sonya Waffles and Metal Neon on the show before, like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I know neither of them will mind me saying that. So, <laughs> well, it's uh, it's two hours now, and I I hate to be this way, but like I'm getting kind of tired. Like I want to like. Not necessarily go to sleep, but are you really? Take my night night gummies and like lay in the bed and watch Star Trek until I like fall asleep and then like sleep for a healthy amount of time and then wake up tomorrow morning and like do my job. Have you considered just not being tired, dude? I've been doing the whole try not to be tired thing for years, (laughs) (laughs) my entire life up until like the last two weeks, really. Yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I uh I don't know. I don't really drink anymore and I sleep like a freaking like like a baby. And I, I'm not saying that like drinking is inherently bad. I just mean like it was such a big part of my lifestyle for so long that it was one of those like ritualistic things and then I think because you, know, you associate, you think like alcohol makes you tired. Okay, like uh, you drink and you'll go to sleep or whatever. But the reality of what happens when you're like obsessive like me is that you 
have a beer and you're like, I'm going to try to relax. And then you get on the, on the web and then you start thinking about cool opportunities and ideas. And then the next thing you know, it's four hours and six beers later and you can't go to yeah. bed now. <laughs> so, but I find that I've, I'm much more efficient and sometimes it is best to just ignore uh, stuff and wait until the next day after you're well rested and think about, think about it yeah. from a, yeah. the different different side of it. It's uh that was really I don't know if you heard the the one that I recently put out with Ben and uh Dawa, but it was like mostly talking about like you don't have to unless you just really want to, but talking about like because uh, they're both into like the Wim Hof like cold uh exposure and all that kind of stuff. And we got to talking about like meditation and yoga and sleep, you know, circadian rhythm and all that kind of stuff and um mm. Uh, I don't know why it's, it was so like difficult because it's almost like a cognitive dissonance thing. It's like you, you know that the whole like staying up all night and sleeping all day and, or whatever, like, or not getting any sleep at all, you know, it's bad while you're doing it and you just keep doing it. And I feel like I'm just getting old now and I want (laughs) to, at the end of the day, I just want to watch TV and go to sleep. I yeah no I worked I worked night shifts for between July and this month. Yeah yeah me too. And well, you, you I, have to say, I, I think it I think it really fucked me up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. But okay, so what's the deal now? Are you just are you freelancing um, it up? Taking on new contracts? No. Well, I mean, I might be able to get that job back. Um, okay. Which um, I've got something for that next year, uh, next week. We'll see how that goes. But I mean, it's just it's just like a boring night job. The only reason I want it back is like stability. I'm kind of like scared of new situations and stuff. Um, I'd love to freelance it up, but I'm not really, I guess, confident or well known enough yet for. That's to be like a really sort of like viable option long term. But I do want to start taking on more freelance work for sure. Yeah. And as you get a few in the near future projects under your belt, like it, it'll be easier to market yourself and be like, you know, yeah. this is what I, I mean, have done. Yeah. You have to start somewhere, don't you? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really difficult to be in like a situation where like, you're trying to be a professional, but like everything that you, you know, is on, that's on your resume has like yet to come out. Cause I'm, I'm, st- I'm kind of in the same boat, you know? <laughs> yes. So it, it's sort of like Hellforge Studios. It's like, uh, you know, there's a lot of games associated with it, but like until, you know, that first batch hits the market, that's when it's going to be like, Oh shit, this is a big deal because for right now it's like a wait and see. Yeah. And same thing within the keep and, and I guess analogous to your situation as well. Yeah. It's why for me, like elementalism has been such a big thing. Cause like, that's my first, that's the biggest contribution I've made to any doom projects actually in nearly 10 years of doing it. Yeah. And not only that, it's not MIDI music. So I feel in terms of like the wider music scene, it's more marketable in a way. Like it's stuff I can actually put on a portfolio yeah as opposed to 
you know, general MIDI stuff. So yeah, that's that's a huge one for me. Well, I think hopefully that, uh, this this hopefully like this is where the like the ball starts to get rolled on. I think that the horizon is very bright for you, man. And I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, we'll say thank you to everyone who wrote in questions and to our supporters and all that stuff. And I'm, instead of doing that at the end of the episode, I'm just gonna as soon as we stop talking, play the full 13 minutes <laughs> of the Earth Boss song. What's it called again? The uh, the God Parasite? The God Parasite. I almost yeah. said the God Particle. Uh, what an asshole. What a terrible radio DJ. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think... So hopefully that the people who are like me and they're listening to this as they're gradually going into their evening hours, this will be a happy... Lullaby for the <laughs> heaviest track I've ever written. <laughs>